Welcome back, everybody. This is Hypo, an ISA podcast where we talk about the industry's favorite topic, millennials. Hi, I'm Allison, Director of Marketing and Communications for ISA. I'm also a millennial, and I'm here to dive into the industry and showcase the voices of high potential young leaders who are killing it and making a career within the channel. On this episode, I'm interviewing President of Valen, Chuck Delph, a former hypo himself. Chuck is an executive whose skills have been developed over many decades of leadership, gaining both a strategic and tactical perspective on the high technology distribution industry. Chuck is committed to people and team development as a key differentiator to accelerate profitable growth. He believes in a balanced approach to leadership by communicating the vision, developing the plan and process while coaching to drive engaged accountability, performance, and execution. I wanted to talk to Chuck about his career, hear how he went from hypo to C-suite, and get some advice from him for hypos currently entering the workforce right now. I wanted to know what he saw technology impacting within the industry and what his company, Valen, was doing to attract and retain top talent. Let's hear what he had to say. We'll just, we'll start with, um, I'd love to get a feeling for understanding how you got started with your career. Um, Like, what was your first job? Yeah, well, it's interesting because my career kind of started from a paper route. For about a year, Mm-hmm. And um, a, a lady at the at Service Supply introduced me to her husband, um, and the company was kind of looking for an ROW sales rep. So that was a manufacturer's rep, and ROW in the old world was rest of world, which means Tom had all the good counts and I had everything else, um, okay. <laughs> which was great. I mean, what an incredible learning experience uh, that was. And then um, I did that for three years, and then I went back into distribution, and this was electronic distribution. And uh, I was in electronic distribution for 30 years in various roles of sales and sales leadership and operations, executive leadership. Um, and I finished my tenure in electronics as the president of Valen, or rather the president of Avnet, mm-hmm. and um, found this opportunity uh, for, for Valen. And so subsequently kind of went from tech distribution and 30 years of experience and knowing everybody and customers and suppliers and, and taking a leap of faith and coming into industrial distribution and leading Valen as the president for the last three years, which has really been fantastic. So uh, from a paper route, um, Allison, that's, uh, that's how my story begins. That's amazing. Seriously, that's, wow, paper route. I don't, honestly, I don't think I ever did a paper out. I did babysitting. Uh, maybe I did a little bit of like, I think I wanted to water people's plants so they were on vacation, but the paper out, it's a lot cooler. I like that. Would you? Well, I knew so, I had to, I always was, had to work. I mean, I was like, okay, I had to work. I knew that. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was always about, all right, was I going to be able to do something? And was it going to help me get to where I wanted to get to? Mm-hmm. Now at 16 years old, I was wanting to get to a car and you know, yeah. take my girlfriend yeah. out for dinner. So your, your goals change and get much broader as you go <laughs> through, but uh, working hard was the only way I knew to achieve the, the goals that I wanted to, I wanted to achieve. And your parents, were they all for that? Were they like, no, you got to have good grades before you do something like that. What was their uh, attitude towards you wanting to be ambitious, taking that paper route and going with it? Yeah, I'm not the prototypical um you know, 
son or daughter. <laughs> um, meaning I was, I was a handful. Um, I spent a little bit of time in military school and, um, you know, and, and all for the right reasons. I mean, it was really about creating discipline and, and understanding. Um, but I was very independent. And, mm -hmm. and so my parents were very supportive of me of working. A, kept me out of their hair <laughs> and, let, and allowed me to be doing something constructive versus uh, things that maybe uh, weren't in my best interest. Um, you know, grades were important, but I wasn't a great student. You know, it was important to me, but um, I maybe didn't know then. And I think I've spent a lot of time in life kind of realizing that, boy, I wish I would have known then what I do know now. Um, but uh, yeah, they were a huge encouragement. In fact, my, my mom is, uh, has been nothing but the, uh, the epitome of, you know, loving me for exactly who I was. And uh, that was great because you know, you, you, you go through life and then you feel like you don't have to look over your shoulder and wonder if somebody cares. Mm -hmm. you know, my mom was always that unconditional love, even when she and I did not see things the, the same way. Well, she's your inspiration for Vicky, right? Yeah, it's um, ironic that you know that. I've kept that fairly secret. Um, but when we started Val and Vicky's, um, it was, uh, you know, the team asked why it was important to me, right? And Mm -hmm. We need to be a reflection and support not only industry, but Valen needs to reflect who we want to be um, internally as well as, as externally. Um, and I told a very uh, you know, passionate story around you know, my mom. My parents separated when I was a teenager. My mom was a homemaker for the most of her uh, life. Mm -hmm. um, but when my parents separated, my mom had to go to work and she worked hard and she now had two two teenage boys who were, uh, my brother wasn't any easier than I was. Um, and yet she's working and having to, you know, try to you know, take care of two teenage kids and uh, go back to work and do a lot of things. And, and I'm proud of her for that. But I look back on that now and know that my mom did not have um, the type of opportunities that I thought she deserved. And so as a president of a company, I look at that and go, hey, how do we create the type of opportunities for women in our organization uh, that will support those that want to grow their careers, want to have career opportunities, but also might have to understand that they've got two teenage kids at home that aren't a whole lot of fun to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe they've got some young ones that they're trying right now to get through school um, during a pandemic, right? That you know, probably to me, I, I think about that as um, moms right now, um, especially working moms, Mm -hmm. um, that's a pressure I don't think most of us can appreciate right now. Memories of leadership, like when you really got going. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so, because I was so, um, I mean, I worked really hard to, to get into what I would call management goals. And, and again, I always said I had a pretty independent streak. And so the, the goal around that is I always wanted to get to be the boss because then nobody could tell me what to do. I'd just be the boss. Okay. <laughs> and um, you, you kind of learn a little bit, right? So that happened for me. And I would tell you one of the more unique things that will help, um, I think, many leaders move from thinking like a manager to thinking like a leader is I got promoted within my, my peer group. I had been a part of this branch for a number of years. Okay. Um, our leader, our leader had, had gotten promoted and moved on. And I got promoted to, to lead this organization. Now, I've been there, kind of grown up there. 
And so if you think about it, most of those people were, you know, my peers, my associates, but they were also my friends. Mm -hmm. and, and in many ways, some of them had even mentored me along the way. And now I'm the, I'm the boss, I'm the guy in the office. And um, probably the first uh, six to eight months, that's how I acted. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I know what's, I know what's <laughs> best go. because I got to this seat, right? That did yeah. not go well. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'll remember to this day, and uh, Jackie uh, was one of our inside sales reps, and we had partnered on a number of accounts together when I was in the field sales. And she kind of grabbed me um, you know, almost by the ears and was like, you know, we don't, you know, we don't need a boss. What we need is a, is a leader and a leader is going to help us understand why we're doing what we need to do here, where we're going to go. Right. I mean, what, what, what we don't need is another, you know, another jerk. Yeah. Right. The world's got plenty of those. Yeah. And it really kind of resonated. And, 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 and some of that it came from is, you know, and, and I would tell you, I repeated the mistake again at another time in my career, which is sometimes you feel like, Hey, what I have to do is set the stage of being really firm and really harsh. Um, either way, nobody will respect you. And if they don't respect you, then you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Um, invariably, in none of those instances has that ever been successful. What yeah. has been successful is recognizing there's a purpose for what we do, um, what we do, why we why it's important sitting down, having conversation, talking collaboratively, keeping a very open, uh, open mind in conversation. Um, and one of the things I've have, had to get really good at as a leader is admitting when I've been wrong mm -hmm. and, and saying, mm, all right, that, that didn't work. Let's not do that. And I think for a lot of leaders, that can be tough, right? It's hard to admit in the mirror. It's hard to admit to others that you're wrong. Um, but you have to side, you know, you have to show that sign of vulnerability uh, to be a leader mm -hmm. and to get people to follow you. And, and I think, you know, it's lessons learned. So I look back on that time, Allison, and I go, man, I, I got promoted into leadership roles or management roles. I was in my mid twenties and that's all I've done since. Wow. And so I really think that since that time I have grown and will continue to grow as a leader of people. It's what I really cherish about distribution. Um, I believe distribution more than anything else is the people business, right? Anybody can sell our products. People mm -hmm. can replicate our services and solutions. But what, what you have is, is if you can get a group of people to understand the passion and the why for why your company exists in the marketplace, wow. I mean, you will achieve some great things. And, yeah. and that's, that's worked for me time in and time out. I, I really love what you said that, you know, what we don't need is a boss, what we need is a leader. I think that that is, um, that plays to the differentiation between the two and, and what people ultimately, you know, follow for guidance, right? They're, they're not looking for, they're not looking to be told what they're do, to do necessarily. They're looking for that, that leadership, that inspiration. And they're, yeah, yeah I totally see the difference in that. So it's, it's funny because I, I wake, you know, the way I, I teach a mentor class and um, this is a leadership kind of course. And I wake, you know, what I say to the, to our leadership teams is you wake up every day and you got to play three roles. Mm -hmm. You got to be a leader, you got to be a coach and you got to be a manager. Now this is long and the podcast won't let me cover it all here. But what I would mm -hmm. say is that, yeah, you have to be a, a leader and that's describing the what and the why, but mm -hmm. really good coaches. Think about that. When, you know, when did you feel inspired by having a really good coach, which a lot of time is on the how, 
right? It, mm -hmm. the, the inspiration is you're not exactly sure what to do. So somebody has to coach you on the how. And then, yeah, manage. I mean, end of the day, things have to get done. You got to manage things. You got to get them accomplished. Um, but I always like to kind of put it in the purview is that, hey, when I say, hey, when you've really in your career, when you've really been led, how'd that feel? Mm -hmm. You can kind of see people kind of perk up and say, when you really had a good coach, um, you know, how'd that feel? And then when you were managed, how did that feel? And That's almost invariably you go to, yeah, being managed doesn't feel good, but being coached and being led, wow, that's great. But all three have to happen for an individual uh, and individuals to be, you know, to be successful. I also mm -hmm. find this ironic too, though. Only one of those do you have to have a title. That's manager. You can be a great that's leader. A good point. You yeah. can be a great coach just by accepting that responsibility, taking it on and, um, and, and, and learning from, right. That, um, maybe, you know, maybe your coaching will develop over time. I know that mine has, and the things that I thought were important then have changed and, and, and gotten different over time. So I'm still growing up, even with all this gray hair. <laughs> so, the, okay. You, you mentioned mentors. Mentors are, um, Mentors are a big role in, in getting to where you, you want to be. I guess my question is you can have more than one, right? Should you have more than one? Yeah. Uh, I think you want to have different. You know, so mentoring is kind of interesting, right? Because even though, though there, there might be some things that you witness in others that you do not want to replicate, it's mentoring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just mentoring in the things that you don't want to become right so it's 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 having that tentacles open as to hey what kind of leader and what type of uh, person are you aspiring uh, to be so um yeah in, in fact what i encourage folks is do not don't always let your boss be your mentor um okay. and, and i'll tell you that and I'll, I'll tell you in particular for our high potentials mm -hmm. right um i'll communicate this really often is is that you have to work really hard as high potentials to find the right mentors because as a high potential guess what your boss doesn't want he doesn't want you to be unhappy yeah you are a high potential you are somebody who's taken work or frustration off his or hers desk you are creating some energy in the company or in your group that is helping the organization move faster high potentials bring that so naturally the manager or leader is going to be a little inclined not to share the things you need to get better at it just happens they don't want to make you uncomfortable you have to find mentors that are going to make you uncomfortable because even as good as you are if you don't have people that are pointing out where you could get better and you have to find those i mean i i remember again just part of that journey I mean, I got promoted a number of times in my career. I tell you, the chest got bigger and bigger and your ego gets a little more inflated. Um, but what I had was some really good mentors that, and one of them being my wife, who does not have any uh, recourse in, you know, in telling me that her role is making sure to keep my ego in check. <laughs> <laughs> and she does that very well. Um, and, and part of that is, is, is saying, hey, be that voice of, of, creating a little bit of uncomfortableness, even in what you've achieved. I'm not asking you, don't be proud of where you are. Don't be, um, don't, don't feel that lack of accomplishment as a high potential, but don't stop now. 
Yeah. You know, don't think you've achieved it now. You have to keep finding and you have to find those, those individuals that are willing to tell you the truth. Yeah. Find something that'll tell you how it is and, and keep you growing. Right. That's the. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. So fascinating to me that you recommend, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think many people would think about it like that. I know early, early in my career, I would have a hundred percent assumed that my boss was supposed to fill that role, that mentor, that guide as well. Um, but that perspective of, you know, they want you to be happy. They want you to keep going. Don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. This is an interesting perspective I've not considered, but again, the recommendation, find someone that'll tell you how it is and, and, and know that that might not be the person that you work with every day. That is, I really like that. I, I really like that. I think that's important. It certainly has been uh, been helpful, and I would also don't don't discount those that are around you. That especially when we're young, we don't want to look back and and recognize that maybe some of the best mentorship might have been an aunt or an uncle, heaven forbid, mom or dad, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it might be it might be somebody there in your 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 local church, or there might be somebody um, that's a, a friend of a friend. Um, but I, I think you'll find very quickly that those that are willing to be a little harsh with you. Um, it hurts, believe me. I never liked it when uh, I get that kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. um, but feedback is incredible. And, and when you get that, and if you're willing to listen to it, um, you will always be in a position uh, to take that next step on the stairs uh, to success. And as soon as you feel like you've learned it all, um, then you're, you're right where you're going to be. So let's, going off of that, I'm curious what your opinion is on, on failing. I think um, one of the scariest parts of having a career is the thought that you will fail multiple times. Um, clearly, you've had many different jobs. You've had a career that's taken you to a level that people would not associate with failure. Is there a time that you failed? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it's, it, they're always hard to, you know, admit, um, there's changes that you've put in place as a, as an organizational leader. Um, you might look back on some hires that you you've made some directions that you've, uh, you've taken. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there, there was, there was a time in my career, I got promoted into a, a senior leadership role. Um, really my first senior leadership uh, capacity. Most of that had been in regionals okay. and you know, same, same kind of scenarios I talked about. I, I kind of got into a position um, and that failure was really not connecting the why, the purpose for what the direction uh, of what I was setting for. It was pretty much here's what we're doing and let's go get it done and the faster we can get it done uh, the better off we'll be and you know it's so uncommon for my personality type, right? Type A, passionate, want to get things done. Um, I can say to this day, I am still not a great listener. And I will you always say, hey, you know, um, patience is a virtue. I don't know. Patience is, in my opinion, is something uh -huh. for those being left behind. <laughs> so, and and so when I go down that path, Allison, I'm, I can fail, right? Because I'm, I'm moving at a speed that sometimes isn't allowing me to get all the information, listen to all the perspectives, um, and then be able to go. So, yeah, I mean, they're hard to admit, but um, I have, I've been wrong more than I've been right. 
Um, but I've had good people to help me. And I'm, I, as I said before, I've always been willing to say, hmm, all right, that wasn't such a great idea or that wasn't such a great approach. Let's do that differently and let's, let's go. Yeah. Um, and, and so, the biggest secret to that is again, surrounding yourself with people that will, uh, will help you on that journey. So failure is not something to be afraid of, especially if you've got those mentors that are going to give it to you straight. True. Um, in fact, when I, you know, I always say that there's, um, two things you can never be afraid to ask. And okay. as leaders, there are be two things you can't afraid to say. Okay. You have to be able to ask the question, why, why, why? Go back to being a three-year-old if you have to and keep asking that question. And mm -hmm. I always say to our team, if we keep asking our teams to do things, if we can't explain why they're doing it, it, it makes no sense to them, right? You have to connect the why. You don't want to be, well, we're doing it because Chuck said so, or we're doing it because the company wants to go in that direction, or we're doing it. There has to be a connection that for that individual as to why. So as leaders and as high potentials, I look at it and say, ask that question why. And if you aren't certain, keep driving your team, your organization, your leaders to tell you why. The other one is never be afraid to say, I don't know. Okay. Because faking it is only going to lead to failure. Mm-hmm. My opinion, right? I always say, hey, fake it till you make it. Mm. How about recognizing that if, if you're going to fake it, the likelihood that you're going to learn anything from that other than failure sooner um, <laughs> is, is imminent, right? So ask the question, well, I don't know. I don't understand. Help me understand this better. I don't know. Don't be afraid to say, hey, I don't know. There's going to be plenty of things, especially for high potentials that are going to be come naturally to you. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be able to take that ball. But in because of that, you'll get more responsibility. They'll ask you to take on more projects. They'll involve you in more things. And as that happens, you're going to continue to move into a place where you're going to finally get to a place and go. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And when you get there, being afraid to ask is a failure in leadership. Ask. I, I just don't know. Where can I get the help? And make sure that you're connected back to them being sure to ask that question. Well, why? Why, mm -hmm. why are we doing this? Why is this important? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think there's a level of confidence too that comes with being able to admit, like, maybe I don't know all the answers. That's definitely something that, gosh, I know. I I love to ask questions, but there are times that I don't want to admit I don't know the answer for sure. Yeah. Um, yep. Something I'll work on. Absolutely. So, I want to I want to dig into our second portion of this, and I kind of want to start focusing on you know hypos who are just getting into their career. So I don't know if they're in their first job, if they're just getting started, if they're now headed towards that that track that you are on, right? So they're getting into management, they're getting into leadership. Um, my question, I guess, we'll start broad is what are, you know, what's some advice that you would have for somebody that's just getting started with that, that career path. They're just dipping their toe in the water of now they've got more responsibility. They need the confidence to go ahead and start uh, either admitting they don't know, asking questions or running with something. Yeah. What, what's some advice you can give for, for people that are just getting started? Yeah. You know, there's, um, you know, if you, if you played sports or you're in music or did, you always had those individuals where things came easy to them, mm -hmm. right? And 
I mean, you can almost picture those people in your mind right now. And maybe you are one of those people, right? Um, but I can say for me, um, things, you know, I was always pretty good at whatever I tried. Um, you know, I could shoot, I, I, I grew up in Indiana, I could shoot a basketball, I can still shoot it, I can still make a three pointer, right? But I didn't play in high school, I definitely didn't play in college, right? Um, so, whatever I did, I found that I had to work a little bit harder because things didn't come as natural to me. Um, and I always, I'll tell you, I see people today. And as I mentor some of those folks that I find life comes a little bit easier to them, I'm probably harder on them than I am because what I see there is a time to kind of, it, it naturally, school came easy to them. College came easy to them. They found the right grade. I mean, things just kind of came a little bit more natural. Um, it's so easy to get caught up in that. And believe me, it runs out over time. You have to continue to work on it. So for me, I, I put myself in that middle of the pack crew that I had to hustle, right? So, you know, if I was a paper route, I had to, I had to bake on the paper route. You had to make it, you know, make it happen, right? If you were bagging the groceries, I wanted to be the one that everybody wanted to get in my lane, right? Mm -hmm. So above all else, I wanted to compete, right? So I'm a competitor. And when you want to be great and you're only, you're only good, uh -huh. <laughs> you got to hustle. Um, and, and so my, you know, my advice and this advice I give to my kids, it's, it's mentoring that I provide, which is, you know, you have to be in a position where you're always learning, learn more than the person next to you. If you see that as competition and you have to enjoy your work, if you don't enjoy your work, it's a job. Mm. And if it's a job, you're going to be pretty miserable and you're not going to want to put the extra time and effort it takes to be really, really good at what you're doing. So learn, learn your work um, and enjoy your work. And what I mean by that is, you know, think about it. Everybody goes through what they would consider to be a traditional 40 hour work week. Mm -hmm. Well, what if you worked 50 hours on what was important to you, right? So make that 50 hours of, of work. Maybe that's, some of that's gonna be the tasks at hand at your job, but hopefully some of that is reading or listening or doing what you can to write down your goals. I believe writing things down are just absolutely crucial. You wanna accomplish something, write it down. It's a contract with yourself. You start to get really good at those things that you're holding yourself accountable to by writing them down. So I always encourage people to write, write them down. But think about that for a minute. If, if everybody's putting in 40 and you put in 50, then every month you gain a month of experience somebody else didn't have. Because that's what time is. Yeah. Time is yeah. experience. And so the more time you put in, to making decisions, the more time you put into listening, the more time you put into your role, the more time you find to do things better, uh, to communicate, to, to, to learn, to listen, to read. You're gaining, think about that, one month every, and if you think about that even forward, you're gaining a year on somebody every year you're working and doing something you enjoy. That's, that's incredible. So there's nothing that's gonna outpace hard work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and hustle and, but also think about that from the standpoint of it's also personal development. It's what do you listen to in the car when you're going to and from, is it headbangers ball or mm -hmm. is it Jim Rohn on leadership, right? Is it good to great? Um, what is it you're listening to? What, what are you putting in your, your head as a high potential? Mm -hmm. Um, and oh, by the way, music's great. I'm not discounting that, but I, I really, think there's lots of opportunities for us to listen and learn. And a lot of times we waste a lot of time when we're exercising or in the car. We could also be fueling our mind while we're trying to fuel the roads or fuel our 
energy. I love that. And that's something that someone can start immediately. That's, that's something that they can integrate into their day. You know, it's the little snippets, like you mentioned to and from work when you're on the treadmill, you know, you're, you're learning at the same time. So we have this immediate impact that we can make on, you know, our lives as a hypo, you can take the time to, to get that competitive advantage against somebody else simply by being passionate about what you do and taking the extra time to learn something. I know that, um, especially for millennials now this, this can go towards all hypos because we're, we're crossing, you know, generations here, but millennials seem to be competing with technology a lot these days. Um, when it comes to keeping our skills fresh, um, and then just the fact that we have, you know, AI and, and a lot of automation in the workforce, um, what are, what, in your opinion, what are some of the biggest impacts that technology has had on the industry, um, even in your company? Do you see any sort of impact that technology has really started to, to make? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, 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 um, by design, that is how we see the future of Allen is leveraging our data um, and leveraging tools to create automation. Um, if you've chosen distribution, as we do a lot of work, a lot of transactions, our business is tri- traditionally not high margin, which means you're you're moving, right? Um, and and the thing that can get in the way sometimes of companies developing and even individuals developing is you're so focused on getting something done mm-hmm. that you never get anything accomplished. <laughs> and what we're focused in on, um, whether it's with our high potentials or others, is how do we take that repeatable task, whether it's you know transactional information, um, is there a way to delegate it to the right place? Is there a way to automate it? In some cases, can we eliminate it? Does it even still make sense for us? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, you know, analytics will help us with that. Big data is going to help us with that. Um, you know, being, being smarter about cost to serve and business, those things will create the ability for some of that tactical work to go away. So what does that mean? It means for all of us and, and certainly for millennials as this generation, you know, grows into uh, what I think is a great industry for millennials um, is because this industry is aging out. When I think of the Valen team as an example, um, over the next five to seven years, almost the majority of our leadership team at many levels within our company are going to age out. They're going to go on to retirement and wanting to do other things. Hmm. And those opportunities, the truth is there had not been a lot in the middle because the industry is, um, has had such a legacy that everybody's kind of leaving at once. Mm-hmm. And so what's what's going to happen is there's going to be create opportunities for a lot of our team at maybe a much earlier age than they even anticipated. So the things that you have to do is be in a position to leverage the technology, leverage the learnings and recognize that, hey, if you if you really, really like banging your your fingers on a keyboard, OK, you're probably you know, that's going to be a little bit a little bit challenging. Right. But if you can leverage that data and use that to be much more proactive, whether that role is in purchasing or supply chain, whether that role is in HR, uh, whether that's in product and product development, certainly in sales, 
mm-hmm. definitely in inside sales roles, right? I mean, being in a position to be far more proactive than we've historically been able to, to be, all of this is crucial. And what I hope is that the millennials lead the way in being in a position that says, get that mundane, repeatable task mm-hmm. out of my scope. Give me a dashboard of the things that are important and let me make an impact in this customer. Let me make an impact in this company. And by being able to do that, I think creates a lot of that excitement that somebody feels, again, connected to what their contributions will be. Absolutely. So millennials might have to be ready before before, uh, historically they might have been. Well, I think there's going to be opportunities and they will be filled. So the question is, will you be ready? And yeah, and and this goes back in, I'll go back into some of the things. um, This is statistical, by the way. So maybe uh, I'll speak directionally to some of our uh, women uh, high potentials. Mm -hmm. Statistics will tell you that men on average will say 60%, if they qualify for 60% of the job, they'll go, Mm -hmm. I'll go for it. Why not? Why not me? Right, I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. invariably the opposite end is women feel like they have to be a hundred percent qualified. So I think what I'm, you know, what you have to do there is that both as an organization, you've got to lean in and make sure that you're bringing your high potentials along understanding, but where I feel like in a lot of cases, um, the, the men uh, high potentials, they'll have their hands up. They'll be a little more aggressive to say of the opportunities they want. Good. I want those types of individuals on my team. Um, at the same time, I'm asking our, our team, make sure you don't miss the opportunity of high potentials that you might have to reach into the organization and be in a position to say, hey, why don't you be a part of that? Mm-hmm. Is because when you look around at industrial distribution, if you don't see a lot of people that look like you or look like your age bracket, you may be a little less inclined to say, let me go for that job because I don't see people in that job. That's got to change. And mm-hmm. that's really where I think the high potentials and the millennials will help is that they want an industry that's reflective of who they are, who their mm-hmm. values are. And when I look at what we do around Valent Cares, Valent Cares is our program to support, been impacted by things like hurricanes and, and, and other natural disasters, or maybe just need some own personal relief. But it's also what we do in the external community where we handed out masks and sanitizer because as a safety, you know, as part of our product line, we sell safety products. Um, we were able to provide, you know, through United Way in our local community. Our team, our high potentials were the ones that were helping to drive that because I think that's another great thing is, hey, we all got jobs to get done, but high potentials want to be involved in the projects that are going to set your company apart mm-hmm. from others. And Valen yeah. Cares is a great example of communicating, you know, or, you know, contributing to our community and communicating to our team, you know, th- those values. Um, that goes back to passion, you know, finding that passion in your work, right? That's absolutely, yeah. Um, I want to, I want to see if you can identify three skills that you would recommend for leadership. If we've got these millennials, they've got the passion, they're working on the confidence, um, they're seeking out that mentor. What are three skills that you just, you need to be that high potential that turns into that leader? Yeah, I always, um, I start with attitude. And and the reason is, is that you wake up and every single day, the only thing we get to choose is our attitude. Mm 
and then life happens, right? (laughs) And then there's things like COVID and there's the person who cuts you off in traffic or, you know, whatever the case may be. But what we can choose to do and what I look for is who's going to bring that, that attitude and that positive attitude that we need. And, you know, I joke around with our team here at Dallin that if you're having a really good day and you're mm-hmm. having a lot of fun and if your attitude's great, be contagious, have a ton of Zoom calls, right? I mean, call everybody that you know yeah. um, and, and be contagious because people love that type of energy and that type of passion. Um, and if you're having a bad day, stay by yourself. We don't need you, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, yeah. you know, that, that it's you know to me it starts with um, it starts with with attitude, you know, I, I think conversation has really gotten lost, and 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 I'm a communicator. One of the things that I really pride myself on is communicating to the organization on a regular basis what's going on and why, what's going mm-hmm. on and why. They don't always like it. Okay, um, I respect that. Uh, change is hard, but um, but communication is important because at least you understand what we're doing and why it's important and how you can yeah. contribute to that. Um, but in the midst of the world of email and text and um, even one-way communications, um, conversation has gotten lost. And conversation is where relationships truly get built. Mm-hmm. It's where trust really gets established. And so, you know, I look at attitude and then say, how many of these are you in a conversation? And conversation has to be two-way. And you will never get the good mentorship uh, without having some really good dialogue and really strong, you know, uh, conversation. You know, and uh, the third one is, is one that's hard for even me today, right? And that is to, to, to be an active listener. Okay. Um, boy, is that, that that's hard. Right. I mean, type A's, I got ADHD. I mean, I'm moving. You tell me something good. I'm going to be over here. I can go squirrel on you in a minute. <laughs> um, so you have to come back and focus and really be an active listener. Um, and and you have to get people to help you. One of the things that, um, that I've done, Allison, is I tell people you can watch my body language. If my leg starts shaking, mm-hmm. it means I can't hear you anymore. Right. It's just my ears have shut down. And, and so you know, I had a great, um, a great partner when I was leading a branch, Julie Brockman, one of the best people I've worked with. And um, Julie used to, you know, she'd see the leg and she'd just stop talking. And, you know, I'd come back and I'd go, well, okay, well, what, what? She goes, leg shaking means you're not listening to me anymore. Oh, or she'd she get up and walk out, out, which is even more hurtful, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, and, but by, by, by telling people that I give them permission to call me out and say, hey, you're not listening to me anymore. Um, and, and I think it's such a critical part. And I think whether you're high potential, but you know, you, you've got to bring the right attitude. You've got to get into conversation. And then when you're in this conversation, you got to be an active listener. Mm-hmm. And as I said, sometimes I can be a much better preacher. I still got a lot of things to still learn. I just, okay, I, I love these, these three tips, the be contagious you know, insist on that conversation, keep that communication going and, and make sure you're holding yourself and others accountable for active listening. I I really see that as the trifecta um, for leadership. So that's, that's phenomenal. And I think anybody, God, every hyper listening to this is going to put it on a post-it note, put it on your desk. Like that's, that's what we should be focused on. So, yeah. 
Um, well, that's the, uh, you know, that's the thing. I mean, is it attitude, you know, attitude matters. Let's face it, right? Who wants to be around people that are a bummer? <laughs> True. True. Right. And, yeah. you know, I had a, I had a sales leader that worked for me at one point and one of his interview questions was describe to me the last party you planned and how it went. Oh, I, I remember asking Steve, I go, Steve, what, what would he goes, Hey, do you want to work with anybody that throws bad parties? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, okay. All right, Steve, you can keep the question in there, but that his whole thing was, Hey, do you really want to work along somebody that throws, doesn't know how to throw a party or, you can't go to a good party or, uh, and you kind of, you kind of get that contagious, uh, element to it of, yeah, you want to work with people who are going to be positive. Now yeah. at the same time, don't bury your head or head in the sand and say, Hey, let's polyanny ourselves to this, right? At the end of the day, you got to be real wherever you are. You have to recognize at the end of the day, you got to be realistic, but be realistic. Don't be a victim yeah. and yeah. allow yourself to be a part of the solution. Don't allow yourself to uh, the way I describe it, don't be a turtle with your, you know, on your back. Mm -hmm. You ever seen that before? That's not something anybody wants to be, right? Mm -hmm. Your legs are flying <laughs> in the air and you can't get over. I mean, you know, all you're, you're, you're a victim to the circumstances. So yeah. don't allow yourself to become that victim. Allow yourself to be the person that's going to be in charge of your future. Be a part of that solution. Yeah. yeah. So we've got like 10 minutes left and I have left um, a portion of this to talk about, you know, Valen, I, I do want to talk about Valen because you guys are making um, you're making moves when it comes to attracting top talent, retaining top talent. We've covered obviously some of that already, but I, I wanted to make sure that we had the time to really go into that. So, yeah, I mean, so Valen is it has clearly been one of the greatest opportunities of my leadership career. Um, this, you know, I came into an organization that had incredible history. When you think of what's rolled up under the Valen brand today, would have been some of the legacy companies of this industry. When you think about Dixie and Canbar and Hagemeyer and IDG and some of the great leaders of this organization that have come before me. Um, and really, as we rolled up this, uh, this organization, um, what, we're, what we're doing is embracing uh, where we need to go uh, as an organization. And, and so it's exciting, but change is tough, right? So um, there's a great book that says, what got you here won't get you there. And mm -hmm. that's a lot of what we're going through with Valen is embracing that, hey, what got us here? Boy, do we have an incredible legacy and what a journey and how proud we should be. And, and in fact, we just celebrated the anniversary with one of our associates who is uh, leaving us from the logistics center who was a part of our organization for 47 years. Wow. Think about that, yeah. 47 years. And that's not uncommon that we're celebrating people at Valen that have been here 40 years and 30 years. And guess who's contributing to our innovation and our proven value? They are. They mm -hmm. understand where the organization was and where the organization needs to go. So yeah, we have a lot of new individuals that have come into the organization. But at the same time, the core of where the growth, the operational excellence on our winning team, the three pillars that we drive, it's really about a combination of both history as well as where we are going and embracing that and taking the change, even though it's hard, change is tough, 
that's exciting. And I think that's why Vallon to me is such an exciting place to be. Uh, it's a journey. I, I, I tell everybody when we onboard them that uh, uh, if you were having problems going to sleep, going to work at Vallon, they'll hit your, put your, cell, your head on the pillow. You won't have problems going to sleep. We will, uh, we got to get a lot of things done. Um, and we're working on getting a lot of things accomplished as well. And we need great people to do that, to join what's already a lot of great people in a great organization. So you're, you're, um, your new talent that's coming in, they've got essentially built-in success stories to look at throughout Valen. You, you've got those people that have 47 years of um, you know, working on something great and creating change. They've got that to look at as a, as a, I guess, a mentor of some sorts, right? Yeah, it, it works both ways, right? So um, what's unique and what we're trying to make sure that the team understands is New people coming in are going to bring a perspective from the outside that we need. You know, we, you know, if all of our understanding of the world is everything's just happened inside of our world, we're mm -hmm. not learning. Mm -hmm. So as we bring new people in, we need to we really need to lean into listening to the best practices they have, the creativity they may be able to bring, some of the things that might have come from the organizations that they've participated in. At the same time, um, our team that has been here for 10, 20, 30, 47 years, probably going to understand some of the processes that are working and some of the processes that aren't and are be more likely to be in a position to help uh, solve those. I'll say to our leadership team a lot, right? I've been to the hill and I've seen the enemy and the enemy is us. And, and the reason is, is that the answers that you are looking for are already in your organization. You just need to go ask your team. And a lot of that comes uh, has come out of not only bringing in new talent, but taking the talent we have mm -hmm. and giving them that voice, giving them that opportunity to be a part of our change and to really help. As we've had a sales conference this week, talk about lighting the way. And that's what I see about Valon, right? What excites me the most about Valon is the industry is changing. The markets are changing. If you think about it, there's clouds, there's, there's this chaos of lots of things that are going on and is big data and analytics and robotics going to change so much but on that hill sitting on the top of that hill is a beacon of light shining the way is valid and we can show the way and that's why i think our industry is so exciting because i'll get people will go well, i've never heard of a vow i said all right well you ever heard of 3m or black and Dac black and stanley black and decker or castrol or any number of our our, our high uh, blue uh, core blue suppliers um, yeah, I've heard of those. Okay, great. You ever heard of companies like you know John Deere, Nissan, BMW, uh, Delta Airlines? Oh yeah, of course. Those companies do not need each other without Valens sitting on the top of that pier as a lighthouse shining away. So we're a matchmaker, right? We're we're really in a position that what we do is matchmaking in many ways, and at the same time, you know our customers and our suppliers in most cases have chosen to manufacture in arguably the highest cost to serve region in the world, the United States of America. Valens value proposition and innovation and proven value save jobs. I mean, clearly when we do what we're supposed to do, mm -hmm. we're helping save those factories so that they can stay prosperous, they can stay in those local markets and they can create, they can create value. You know, so th those become some of the whys that are pretty exciting about, okay, that's an interesting organization that people sometimes look at and go, okay, it's industrial distribution. I'm proud of industrial distribution. If you don't do the basics, you don't get, you don't get to do the great things. 
and we do the basics and we're working really, really hard as an organization to create those great things as well. I, I love what you said about the, the fact that a lot of the times the solution is within your own company. Um, you know, and I think that kind of nods towards not just attracting new talent, top talent, retaining it. If you're nourishing, you know, your employees, you're getting them that development, you're pushing them towards C-suite, being a hypo, getting that leadership mentality, you know, that's, you're retaining it. And uh, yeah. for a lack of a better way of saying it, like, you know, then you're winning. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, I, I see, you know, people will talk and I spent, you know, I spent 30 years in electronics, most of that with, with one company, right? Um, and I would have liked to have said, you know, hey, I was a, a high potential back in my day. And they, you know, um, in my conversations with our teams, what they're looking for more than anything is opportunity, opportunity mm -hmm. to learn, opportunity to participate, be a part of something. And so when that's when that runway starts to look shorter inside the place that they're at, they're going to want to find some other place to be able to gain that opportunity. That's yeah. only natural. I would tell you, right, that if I had not gotten the type of opportunities that I had, I would have changed companies, right? And then ultimately, it was one of the reasons of why I left the comfort zone of technology distribution that I was in for 30 years mm -hmm. to come do this, is I saw something that was going to really be challenging, and certainly it has been, but the rewarding of being such a part of something great is, is something that I'm super excited about. And yeah, I, I, you create those types of opportunities, people will stay. Um, and naturally, if you can't, then they want to go find those opportunities. So yeah. I challenge all leaders, right? You know, don't get stuck on what you think. Um, do what you can to be in a position to you know, retain your talent by creating the most opportunities. I think that's such that's such an important tidbit that hypos go for opportunity. And if you're creating that opportunity, you've got hypos for life. I mean, you're, you're in, enforcing that retention. That's, that's powerful. Chuck, this has been wonderful. This has been fascinating. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to hop on and this is going to be an amazing episode. So. Well, thanks, Allison. I appreciate it. Great. Cool. Thanks, Allison. Absolutely. Thanks, Chuck. All right. Bye. Take it easy.